The Zeta beam crackled around us, and when our vision cleared, we were back on Rand. It looked the same, but we were on the outskirts of the city, and judging by the table and chairs that Adam Strange had set out for us, we weren't going to be seeing much of the city itself this time. Keeping an eye on the horizon for alien invaders, we settled down for a chat. Hi, my name is John. And I'm Matthew. And we are the DC Detectives. It is our job to go back to the annals of DC Comics history and chronicle the evolution of all your favorite heroes from start to every reversible finish. Okay, so we're jumping back into the more sci-fi centric era and areas of the DC Universe after having, you know, played around with the Supergirl stories and the Atom and the Elongated Man. Those are kind of fantasy science fiction. We're going to get into science fiction again with Adam Strange in Mystery in Space. We're only covering, I want to say, seven or so issues this time around. Not very many because they go like every other month, but this is still Gardner Fox's realm of ownership. It's still under his flag of, these are the things that I have created and no one can tell me what to do with them other than me. <laughs> and hence why he will pitch them constantly to be members of the Justice League, that sly bastard. Um, lovely, lovely art by Carmine Infantino. Just, I mean, these are, these are great popcorn uh, B-movie, sci-fi movie plot comics. They're not incredible, but they're also not the worst we've read. Um, but he's hit his stride, and it really does seem to be that, um, and we'll go over this a little bit more in the summation, perhaps there is nothing more that he can do with this character. I'm not necessarily going to disagree with that. I am yeah. curious to see whether we ever get development, frankly, of like any of Gardner Fox's characters. Because although we've seen he's he excels at setting up situations, right? Uh, all his characters are not quite one note, but I sure don't see any intent to develop. But that that is a good call out. Yeah. So we're gonna jump right into it. Uh, we should go through this quickly, Joanne. So we shouldn't be too harried for time with the summations here with mystery in space number 66 march 1961 a creature that can turn weapons into stone and has recently hatched from an egg on ran decides that he's going to bring the planet closer to the sun to heat up all the other eggs of his species to make them hatch as well and they can take over the universe and adam and alana basically say nah screw all that and they launch him into the sun so that's a body count one. Like, this is a very sentient creature, be it evil and trying to commit genocide, but um, they launch it into the sun and kill it. So body count one right out the gate. Mystery in Space, number 67, May 1961. Um, apropos of nothing, giant fireflies have, ap have appeared on Ran and around the city of Ranagar, and it's kind of a problem at first, but then they use the giant fireflies to actually stop these sun flame avatar golem creatures that are around on ran and they use the fireflies to stop them so really it's kind of like a segue problem into the real problem um, and it's body count two for the fire creatures and after killing the other two fire creatures adam's like and don't come back to the third one and he's like yeah fuck you killed my buddies i'm gone and like <laughs> leaves so how many men does it take to carry a message yeah really Only just one, one. Mulan's a That's good movie. That's such a good moment. Mulan's a good movie. Um, but yeah, Mystery in Space 67 ends with two more deaths. So Adam Strange, up to three, right off the bat. Uh, he's not, he's he's just mean serious business right now. Uh, Mystery in Space number 68, June 1961. A Randian bad guy teleports uh, all of his 
perceived threats, basically anyone who would stop him off planet um, where dust creatures live. Kind of like the you ever hear when people say like, "Ooh, dust devils," which is just like a tornado made out of dust. Imagine if that tornado made out of dust was also person shaped and kind of like wispy at the bottom end with like no feet. That's kind of what these dust creatures are. Um, and Adam and the Ranians who are on this planet who get teleported there kill like four of them before returning back to Ran to get the guy that got them due to some Zeta Beam shenanigans where Adam's Zeta Beam energy runs off. He goes back to Earth and then he teleports back to Ran and beats the guy up and then gets everyone home. Uh, Mystery in Space, number 69, August 1961. Adam is teleported to Ran uh, when a when a dog helps free him um, from like a, a weird risky situation in like Alaska basically he's in Alaska something's happening and a dog helps save him um, and then he gets teleported with the dog for some reason <laughs> like him and the dog are on Rand now and um, the dog helps him uh, be freed from aliens who are another species on Ran that turn people into water and freeze them so as these character, as these opposing aliens or opposing life forms on Ran are freezing, you know, people of Ranagar, Alana, Sardath, and Adam Strange, this dog that teleported with him from Earth helps free him and the rest of people. And it's just like, oh, and that dog is never seen or heard from again afterwards. Like yeah. teleports back to Earth, and it's not a companion, it's not an animal sidekick, it's just this dog that was there at the time. The goodest of boys. Yeah, the goodest of boys or girls, whatever. Yeah, we're never we're, we're never told the gender of the of the dog specifically. Um, yeah, I forget what was the dog's name. Something like Chunky or something like Unim- that. Yeah, I think it's Chunky. I think the dog's name is Chunky, which is hilarious. Um, Mystery in Space, number seventy, September nineteen sixty one. One of the dust creatures from uh, two issues before, in uh, number sixty eight, stowed away in Adam's gear and was waiting for the right time to come back and waits till Adam's on Earth and tries to like take over Earth, and Adam must stop it. Um, and of course does so. Otherwise we would have been taken over by dust creatures. Uh, mystery in space, number 71, November, 1961 crystal creatures that, um, basically have a plot to swap bodies with all the Ranians, uh, basically transferring the consciousness from their body into the Ranian and, uh, and Adam strange bodies to trick intergalactic cops that are trying to hunt down these crystal creatures. So they, uh, they do it with most of the individuals on Ran before Adam, comes up a way uh, with a way to stop this and um, gets their psychic sort of like helper character that they have that really isn't it's a living MacGuffin essentially Um, it's just this character that helps them psychically transfer mind links and things like that Um, gets he convinces that being to help them and stop the crystal creatures and he ends up killing one of the crystal creatures so body count one again for that story the final story that we're going to hit here, Mystery in Space, number 72, December 1961. Adam is brought to the future version of Ran in a thousand years into the into the future to save them from beings that shoot living organisms out of their guns. Basically, like, they've... It, it, these guns are essentially Pokeballs <laughs> that shoot out yeah. creatures that then fight the people on Ran. So Adam and the future Ranians throw these people off and then... When he returns in the past, after being, like, supercharged by the future Ranian's Zeta Beam energy, he's on Ran for, like, months, which is, like, the longest 
stretch of time he's ever on ran with Alana. And that's kind of how the year ends is Adam gets to spend like two, three, four months on ran with Alana. And then he goes back. So that's going to be the end of our, our plot summary coverage here. But I want to talk about basically the state of affairs for Adam Strange. Adam Strange is a man and anthropologist question mark he's a swiss army scientist and or historian who is teleported to an alien planet where he is an adventurer and savior via zeta beam radiation that hits at specific times and it allows him to go to that planet for an undetermined amount of time depending on how much radiation he's absorbed and then once the radiation wears off he comes back to earth Over the last couple of years of coverage of Adam Strange that we've done on the podcast in those episodes, there is usually one story where he gets to spend a lengthy amount of time on Ran. For no discernible reason other than Gardner Fox just wants him to be on Ran for a while. And it's very interesting to me that he has not just let him stay on the planet because everything he does right now is just like a page worth of stuff maybe half a page is worth of stuff to get him to ran and then the rest of the story is him on ran so i feel like gardner fox is working his way up to eventually permanently putting adam strange on ran which is the version of adam strange that i am familiar with it's just an earth man on this other planet perpetually there a man lost in space who has now found this new home but it seems very much that Gardner Fox is just like rushing his way through these perfunctory preambulatory stories to get Adam to ran faster so he can get to what he assumes or what he he deems the good stuff now the issue with that is the stories are becoming incredibly repetitive. And I think that's the issue that, that Gardner Fox is having is some alien species that, that Adam is not privy to on Ran that lives there already has come up and tries to overthrow the Ranians of Ranagar and other cities. Um, a mysterious alien animal type that has never been seen on Rand is wreaking havoc or an ancient um, or future tech galactic menace is now on Rand and Adam has to stop it with the help of the Randians. Those are the three stories we have. And occasionally we'll pepper it in with some evil Randian is trying to do away with Adam. A military person, a politician, just an evil scientist. Someone deems Adam Strange a threat enough that he's trying to, that they are, it's usually a he, that they try to remove Adam Strange because they're like, oh, if this guy's around, I can't do whatever my takeover the planet uh, plan is. That's all we really see. We're never seeing anything off of Ran. We're never seeing anything that happens on Earth. Maybe Alana comes to Earth for some reason. We don't see any of that. There's no, um, it seems like he doesn't know how to expand this world beyond what he is doing. Now, perhaps it's difficult for him to do that with the amount of pages that he has, because Mystery in Space, like Action Comics, like Detective Comics, is a multi-story book of different stories. So Adam Strange is usually getting 
the top spot and the cover of these issues of Mystery in Space. But there are other stories in this book at the same time, so he can't take 24 pages to tell a story. Unlike Superman or Supergirl or what have you is doing in action comics occasionally. So, it might be as a necessity to do what he can with the space that he's got to tell stories that he believes are what are the best stories for Adam Strange. Fun action romps that have to do with Adam outwitting a foe and saving Alana, who, by the way, Alana is getting more and more adept at things. She's not doing a lot. She's never saving the day. It's not like June from the Challengers, where occasionally she'll save the day or they need her to do something, but Alana is more consistently jumping into the fray and trying to help Adam more and more, which is nice. I like that. Um, but she's no longer the damsel in distress all the time. She is much more of a side character. Uh, not as much of a sidekick, but she's there. She's along for the ride. As much of as much as Marion is in Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Mm. You know. That's a good comparison. She's That's she's there. Really yeah. She's not really the damsel in distress. She tries things. It may not work out, but she's not impotent. It she just isn't successful. She isn't vulnerable as a plot point. Yes. Um, she is generally there to dispense plot while also be somewhat helpful to a degree. Adam definitely does give her tasks to do that are crucial for the plan to occur that she will complete off panel. So Alana is, if anything, useful and not just I'm here because I'm your love interest and you have to save me. Very often is she trying to save Adam and, you know, she, she's, uh, <laughs> she means well, even if she's not successful, which is still kind of a trope of the, you know, the bungling, beautiful woman who doesn't quite succeed, but oftentimes she does succeed off panel, which at least tells us that Alana is, if anything, capable of doing something and Adam relies on her enough. But again, I'm positing that Maybe Gardner Fox doesn't really know what to do with this character anymore. And to be fair, I don't know what I would do with this character at this point. Like, there's not a whole lot given what we know about him. We don't know anything about his family, about his personal history, about Alana that much. We just know that she's the daughter of Sardath, who is a very important scientist. We, we're not doing anything with Sardath at all. Yeah, you're right. I think we've seen him, like, once in these stories. Yeah, like, even in these stories, hmm. it, he doesn't show up a lot. And it's like... I don't know, should we perhaps talk about maybe a plot line where Sardeth is like, hey, I think I figured out how to get you here for good? Like, you would think with a main character whose entire job is science with a capital S, you'd be trying to do things like to, to forward the plot in some general area. Um, perhaps Sardath is constantly in danger. Like, we don't even see any of that. It's just like, oh, weird random things are happening. Thank God Adam Strange is here. Like, there's no plots against Sardath or anything like that. Um, it's Monster of the Week. Yeah, it very much is. What monster am I facing this time? And so much so that Adam even calls it out whenever he gets on Ran. <laughs> yep, what's well, wrong this time? He's he's self-aware he's self mundane. What am I what weird thing is plaguing your world this time? And it's always weird to him when there's nothing wrong. Which to me is like, no, that's a red flag. Something's wrong. Because every instance when nothing is wrong, something is actually subversively wrong. Like the time he goes on Ran and Alana's like, no, there's nothing wrong, and she kisses him and he's like, mm, 
no, you're not Alana, because I can tell, because this kiss isn't real. You're not really Alana. And it's the crystal creature who has swapped mental states with him. And so it's like, anytime anyone tells you nothing's wrong on Ran, is lying. Ran is always on fire. <laughs> it's just like the equivalent of the Cal- is California on fire page. Yeah, it's that. There's always something going on with Ran, and he's always perpetually surprised. Where he's like, no, that's impossible. Something's Something's happening. Point me in the direction of danger. And it's, and I appreciate that about the character where he's always willing to help and he's a good guy, but also like, holy shit, everything all the time is wrong. Come on. Like we need a baseball episode. Yeah. We, or, issue. Issue. Yeah. Uh, drinks drinks are, on are on me. Um, but even so, like, per, like with the, the Hawkman issues, we had like Hawk people Fanagaran Christmas which ended up being a storyline because it was like oh let's talk about our culture for a moment and then weave this into a plot like we don't get any Iranian holidays we don't know the type of culture that Ran has other than science and and space and things to your point we, we need a baseball issue something that is a palate cleanser that gives us a little bit more about Ran itself that isn't a, let's show you this like lake on Ran or this island on Ran, and then something terrible happens. It's more like, show us what Ran is like. Show us more about Alana and Sardath. Um, it's not exciting, but we'd like to see it. And I think that's the problem. Were this, were this a 24-page book, like Green Lantern or Flash, you could probably do that. But unfortunately, because this is only like a 9 to 10-page story, maybe 12 pages at best... You really can't spend time to do a, you know, soul searching issue. So one interesting bit about that, uh, I don't know to what degree this will continue to be the case, but the first five issues that we covered were all nine pages, which super short. Yeah. But the last two were actually super long relatively. Uh, Issue 71 is 17 pages and 72 is 15. I don't know to what degree this will continue to be the case, but they previously they had been running three stories and then they did what we've seen with basically all the other anthology books that we've been covering where they condense it down to two stories, like how uh, Action Comics went from Superman, Supergirl, and I think Kongorilla. Yes. That's the case uh, down to just Superman and Supergirl. So they do that same consolidation and they actually get more pages out of it, partly because they're not competing with really any other brands, I guess, or any other IPs, you know, roughly what I mean, any other recurring characters. All the other stories in mystery and space are uh, just kind of, hey, here's a one off story that's they're enjoyable enough reads but it's not like you're competing against a character you're competing against a short story that's going to be different every single time so i wonder to what degree they'll keep doing longer stories though or if frankly if uh if gardner fox will do anything with that space because i mean we've certainly never seen him have a breather episode i guess issue yeah um I think the comparison to draw, like I said, would be in Green Lantern when he found out Thomas was going to leave. Yeah. That's that's the Dancing equivalent. down to very personal stakes. Yeah, we, we need something we that is... Oh, yeah, we haven't had that. We need something oh. that, like, or with Barry um, being told by Iris, I'm going to leave you because you're consistently late. Something has to deal with his personal life. Um, and then 
spiral into a larger th- a larger thing that then comes down to the the smaller thing again we need an a and a b plot issue and yes. that's really what's missing here is there's no a and b it's just a yeah and i'll even flip that one around a little bit the comparison that i'll draw is uh hawkman specifically mm-hmm. because every time we had a hawkman story it felt like we were getting more of a sense of uh thanagar like that was one of the things that we kept commenting on and also like the early adam strange stories was oh they're building on the lore for this place and we've gotten none of that in this chunk and it's definitely missing like uh the fact that so many of the threats are external honestly i don't like we get very few shots inside ranagar everything is taking place on like the outskirts which is okay cool like there's nothing inherently wrong with that it's just we get no sense of place and then and then combine that with the lack of like personal stakes it's it's very uh impersonal yeah it's it's um it's top down view there's nothing really close like we don't know much about ranagar as a society we don't know much about Again, Sardath and Alana's relationship. We don't know like where her mother is. It's just her and her father. We don't know anything about any of that. Not that like we need to know everything about that, but it would make this world be something we cared more about if we had more details, because then we could feel like we're a part of it. Yeah, fully agreed on that score. The these are these are pulp sci-fi that you could you know what it is? You could very easily take uh have this be go to a place stories instead of happens at a single place things are there's nothing special about the threats coming to ran it's could easily be replaced by we went to a place yeah put him on a starship and alana and sardath on a starship and every every issue dealt with a different planet and it's exactly the same thing and ranagar and ran mean nothing it could be just as easily uh, TNG as it could be DS9. Yeah, I think that's that's the best way to, to describe it for for people who are familiar with Star Trek. Absolutely, uh, you know, it it doesn't. There's nothing grounding it to this planet, other than the Zeta beam radiation. That is the only thing that is tying him to this world. Were he to be on Ran, it would just be I'm here defending people from space threats, which is fine. And Superman does that all the time. So does Green Lantern, but. Green Lantern travels to different planets at different times. Superman goes back and forth in the future and the past and occasionally goes to different planets as well. There is a scene change at times for these characters who have a home base. Right now, Adam's home base doesn't matter because it's Earth. And we always see him leaving it. And so Earth isn't important. The most interesting issue we had was when the dust monster came to Earth. And that was really cool. And I was excited to see what would that... like. Maybe the government would be like, where the hell did this come from? And Adam had to be like, hey, so I know about this teleportation technology that I haven't been telling anyone about on our planet solely so I can date my girlfriend. (laughs) You're not wrong. And, you know, that's selfish kind of. But like also, I don't know if our planet's ready for it. Like we don't have any storyline about Adam dealing with like what's going on on earth like no one notices that this guy keeps perpetually leaving at times no one notices that you know he's supposed to be a scientist surely he's doing something 
Someone somewhere has to notice that Adam is going and leaving. Or maybe something's happening on Earth and something he finds on Rand can help him solve a problem that's happening for his friend on Earth. I don't know because I we don't know what happens. that to be like that A, B, te- a, B plots coming together at the end and we absolutely don't get that. You're 100% right. That would be such a logical way to do it. Like it's, it's the Power Rangers framing of, oh, I have this issue with uh, what were the two weird bullies? Bulk and Skull. Yeah, something something going on with them, and that gets mirrored into the main plot, and we absolutely don't get that. It's really strange, because even Martian Manhunter does that. Something yeah. is happening with my friend over in that place. I'm going to use my Martian powers to help solve my friend problem. You know, it's like, yeah, that's what you do, as opposed to, I'm a guy from Earth stopping problems on a different planet, which is, again, very John Carter of Mars, and we yes. get it. We understand the joke now, but please do something with it. Like you have all this, you have this setup, you have this world, even, even Hawkman and Hawkgirl do it better. You know, mm-hmm. we're going to do stuff on, on Thanagar, learn how to do something there and take that learning that we have and apply it to Earth. Or we're going to use Thanagarian technology to stop the Shadow Thief. Or our Thanagarian knowledge makes us know that that shapeshifter guy has turned into a Thanagarian bird on earth that an ornithologist noticed so that's how we're going to solve this like they they do that leap and it's the same writer yep it's the same guy gardner fox is writing both hawkman and adam strange so you would imagine he could do it and you know he can so what's the problem here so i'm gonna throw out two things there because both are kind of interesting and relevant the first is uh you kind of alluded to the fact that it felt like Gardner Fox was sort of building up towards having uh, having Adam Strange be able to just stay on Rand. It almost felt to me like it was actually going to go in a slightly different direction, that he was building up towards being able to choose when he got to Rand, because he's still at the mercy of the Zeta Beam. The specific thing that the, – the stories that stood out to me were – the the one where the traitorous uh uh military officer general or something <laughs> general or something uh general or something figures out how to uh use a half charge se- like produced zeta beam in order to uh pull people to another place and then because it's half charge instead of them coming back af- at the end it uh they fade out of existence and i'm like okay so someone figured out how to make new zeta beams and have them work in specific ways someone's going to make a zeta beam cannon so that they can just call adam strange whenever they need his help and just okay that's how it's going to work it's going to be directed instead of at the mercy of random timing and it didn't happen there and then there's the issue later on where the uh they're the future uh ranagarians who uh figure out they have a time teleport uh time uh transitioner i guess uh and then there's also the zeta beam as well and i'm just like okay so this is where they're going to get like the tech nope it's not going to happen there uh because absolutely like i i don't i feel like there would be something lost by in term just in terms of the potential of the character if they switch to him just living on ran uh i think there's still a lot of value in him being able to bounce back and forth but you're right like the way that gardner fox is writing right now it would make sense for him to just permanently end up there the other thing that sort of leads into this one uh is i specifically said what gardner fox is writing now 
but apparently we're like three issues off from what apparently a bunch of people consider to be like the best story of the year. I think it's it got an award for best like best novel in comics, so best full issue story uh, for 1962 or whatever, issue 75, and it's a crossover with the JLA. And so presumably we, I, I read like the first paragraph of the plot summary and it's like, okay, so I, presumably there's some, some more of the earth ran crossover where that, that element of the character plays more of a role. I have no idea to what degree the rest of the stories are going to make use of that. But if nothing else, like having, having that crossover, potential and it being used in a story that we are coming up on really highlights how much that's missing right now, how much a page or a half page of, Oh, I'm on earth. Okay. Now I'm Iran is really underserving the character. And it's interesting too, because in the volume of JLA that I have volume one starts with that, uh, Adam strange JLA crossover. Oh, and oh. That explains how the JLA uh, puts forth his name as a possible person to induct. So technically, this means that the Adam Strange comics, chronologically in the DC Universe, happen non-concurrently with the rest of the DC timeline. Hmm. Because the rest of DC is all working with the same timeline as the JLA, but Adam Strange, for whatever reason, is... You know, when it starts in 1959 or 1960, it's actually in, like, 1958 or 1957. Huh. Fair enough. And those two years lead up to him in 1960 and 1961 running into the JLA in a, in a story that is now coming to coming up when, in 1960, that's when they're like, he, we should induct Adam because he helped us that one time. And only in <laughs> 1962 do we come up on that story. That's right, because it was super early in JLA that that they decided uh, not to go with Adam Strange, but he was nominated. Yeah. I forgot about that. So <laughs> that means that the Adam Strange stories are actually chronologically out of order with the rest of DC. All right. I'm done with that. Which is fine. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't hinder anything. It's just an interesting note to make that, like, three or four years into the comic is when we get the story that explains why he's cool enough to be considered by them. And uh, I read it. It's interesting. I'll have to, I'm going to reread it again to take notes on it, obviously, for, for when we cover it. But it's an interesting story that it is a indeed a crossover. Um, I think that that's funny that that's supposed to be like a really, really big deal story. And now knowing that, I'm going to have to look at that and really evaluate it. And I'll be interested to hear what you have to say about it. Um, so... I think that's I don't know how much we bled into your notes, but I think this is a good place to transition into anything that you have specific as far as notes go. Yeah, uh, honestly, like one little note that is worth sort of putting in on that uh, that thread. Uh, I talked about the page count going from nine to 17 and then 15. Compare that to uh, Superman uh, or rather to action comics like around 283, which was, I think, around what we covered last time. It's after uh, action comics condenses down to just Superman and just Supergirl stories, no Congorilla. And they split the issue at about 12 pages per story. Uh, so Gardner Fox is getting more space to play with for Adam Strange stories uh, than like comparable Superman stories. So 
he's got he's got the space to do stuff if he chooses to do it. So we'll see. Um, this one was a bit interesting. So I talked a little bit about how the backup stories are just anthology stories. Uh, there's not any continuity or recurring settings or characters. There is one exception. Uh, during this block, we have two stories about a trio that'll later be called the Star Rovers. They're at, in these two appearances. They're three people who are like space adventurers, and they all think that they've solved a mystery or caught a beast, and then they compare notes and they resolve on the final answer. It's very Rashomon, uh, and they'll they'll get their own recurring stuff later on. But right now, they're just oh, I guess these characters work. Let's do them again. Uh, other than that, these are standalone stories, uh, and it's interesting the degree to which that is such a difference from every other book that we've covered in the Silver Age. At least I can't think of any of the other Silver Age comics that are these like anthology stories that don't have recurring characters for the backup stories. Uh, I, every other time, I I, can't, I think they've been... Like, oh, we're going to run Tommy Tomorrow. And maybe Tommy Tomorrow only runs like five issues before it gets shuttled off to a different comic. But uh, it's always a branded thing instead of this is a story. Here's the name of the story as the branding. And what's exciting about that for me is like they're you're 100% right. These are repetitive stories. They're very similar ideas played out again and again. But I've I've enjoyed them and especially like Gardner Fox does a bunch of novels, like especially post DC. Uh, he does, he is a lot of prose writing and a lot of sci-fi prose writing. So the fact that he's not just writing for, not just writing for comics characters, like capital C, capital C characters, uh, makes me want to go read some of his, uh, sci-fi short stories. Uh, also worth noting, uh, <laughs> Gardner Fox apparently wrote what I assume are sex comedies under a pen name, including novels in the series Lady from Lust, League of Undercover Spies and Terrorists. And that seems like an interesting kind of awkward to read. But one way or another, like Gardner Fox wrote a lot. Yeah, he's he's one, he's one of the most prolific. He's one of the most prolific writers in DC Comics history, if not in comics history, um, just because of the amount of amount he wrote in and outside of comics. And yep. Again, to your point, these are repetitive, but they're not bad. Yes. Their repetitive nature is just the quality of, of character that you're going to get. To me, them being repetitive means they're not they're not going to wow you, but they're good, and you're not going to be like, oh, I hate these. It, it's the difference between, like, Martian Manhunter comics may not be as repetitive, but they're boring, and they're, yes. they're not as exciting. These are exciting and interesting, but it's the same thing each and every time, so it can only be as exciting and interesting as the writer makes them. I think that's really the the brand for Adam Strange is it's a good cartoon. Every episode's the same, but at least it's a good cartoon. Anyway, uh, do you have more notes? Let's see. Um, what do I get? I do kind of like, th this is just a complete random aside. I like that 
whenever there isn't something actively on fire when uh, he goes through the Zeta Beam, Alana always has something planned for when Adam Strange gets here. She's the friend who keeps the trip organized. All right, I've made reservations, or here's the trip, here's the uh, Blitz tour that we're going to go on. We're going to see the penguins. Yeah. Alana does, oddly enough, plan a lot for someone who is constantly in distress. Like, yeah. to her credit, she's a good guide around her planet. Alana is always interested in showing Adam around her world, which again makes me long for a story where Alana gets shown around Earth, because she's always doing so much work for Adam Strange to, like, make a good time for him, despite the fact... And, and Now, if we're going to go for, like, the effort being put into the relationship, is planning a good date and saving your entire civilization really the same amount of effort being put into the relationship? I don't know. <laughs> like, I... I'm not going to say it's equal, but I will say that, you know, I think Adam's pulling his weight, even though, frankly, he's not doing a lot for their relationship as a couple mm -hmm. other than just being there. And granted, we also don't see them go on dates ever. We just see them go to a thing which starts as a date and then turns into a perilous situation. So we actually don't know their their romantic dynamic at all. Because every time it's like we're on the planet together for a long time, it's just end time passes. Like we never see any of that. We know that he knows her well enough to know that it's not her when an imposter kisses him. And presumably that means him and Steve Trevor have the same level of cognitive awareness of their significant other. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I will say, though, Adam isn't a it doesn't seem to be a bad romantic interest he just seemed we just don't see anything to suggest that they're romantic my favorite thing however i think from every issue of mystery in space that adam is in the last panel is always him standing on an elevated plateau looking up at the stars going yeah. when will i return to ran again almost every single issue ends with that exact panel just in a different location and different stuff that he's standing on. And I love that. Like, I think that's actually really great. And I think that's that's kind of beautiful. But it's hilarious that that's how, like, that would work were we to see more of them as a couple and see their romantic tension and their romantic dynamic. But it, otherwise, it's just, when am I going to return to that space planet again and see that hot chick? It's like, I don't know, man. Like, you guys don't actually have, like, a real good setup going other than she's like hi welcome <laughs> to my planet it's on fire like oh thank god a thing for me to do for your whole world like you would think that he would kind of not be into it after a while like i kind of i kind of feel like the if if we were to take this story and transplant it 30 40 years uh into our actual future uh, of, I guess this would like around the early 2000s or mid 2000, uh, 2010s uh, and just have a writer who is focused on that. Okay. Like let's, let's dissect these elements and talk about these relationships. Like I almost feel like the, the long time skips where, Oh, he, for whatever reason, got to stay on ran for a couple months would be a disservice because it would be super interesting to read stories about how do we relate to each other when we actually have time to talk to each other and nothing's going wrong. And like the first like couple days of that must just be like, okay, what's going to go wrong? What's going to go wrong? Just 
being on edge and not really being able to relate to each other well because you always have that back in your mind when is something going to happen and then how do we relate to each other when we're together in a non-violent situation after we've accepted nothing's going to go on like that would be fascinating i would love to see like the the equivalent of that vision miniseries recently that was about what if let's look at the vision building himself a family i mean we're never going to get that story from gardner fox but i would love that yeah what if he finds out that like a lot of super racist and they've never I mean, and they've never talked about it because I they've mean, never you, actually had some conversations i mean there was the story uh, okay so this is one of my other bits but there was one of the stories that almost would have worked just fine if it weren't for a specific phrase. Uh, it was issue 69 where the Kiri come back after uh, a long genocidal war uh, like thousand, many thousands of years ago is the way they describe it. And Ran once upon a time was inhabited by two different Gardner Fox can't make up his mind whether they're two different species or two different races of the same species and they're just very different. Uh, the line is from Alana, uh, it all started many thousands of years ago when Ran was inhabited by two different human beings, the white race and the blue-skinned aliens who called themselves the Kiri. For centuries, war went on between them and then eventually the humans managed to exterminate the Kiri. Uh, and... Yeah... Like, it yeah. would have it would have been like normal sci-fi this is a little weird but okay I accept this convention at the time if it weren't for the line the white race and it's weirdly like it's hyphenated it's the white hyphen race almost like like the species name that the the Iranians call themselves was the white race or something but no it's there's a lot in that. There's a lot in that, and I'm not happy about it. But very specifically with regards to uh, your point of them not knowing each other, yeah, <laughs> they don't. Yeah, we never get the equivalent of, oh, they're in the office together because as soon as they arrive, they're off on, if not an adventure, at least a context change. There's never, there's never, a, <laughs> there's never a Netflix and Hangout night. It's always let's go visit the equivalent of Mount Rushmore. Neither is the neither is there the trope of the other woman. Mm. There's no Randy. There's no Randian woman trying to hit on Adam, you know, at like a party or an event or something or like one of Sardath's assistants or like and Alana has to be like, no, he's mine. Like that's a common trope in the 60s because obviously terrible ideas of what women are like. But we had that with Shaira, it like almost immediately. And I'm surprised we're not seeing that with like Adam, savior of the planet. You know, there are there isn't a woman out there who's like, I'm gonna marry him because he's so cool. And maybe Adam realizes he doesn't actually know anything about Alana. And this other woman wants to like learn about him and she shows him her life. Like, I don't know. Like, I'm just saying, like, I'm, there's a lot of romantic conventions that we're not seeing at all there is a complete lack of personal grounding and one of the things that's cut out by that is all of these normal tropes and again pluses and minuses because gardner fox certainly hasn't shown yeah. that he can handle things always well and he's not Granted, yeah carter and shire solid Ish. Eh, yeah i mean like he's not the best at writing relationships to begin with but i'm also surprised he hasn't even tried 
Yeah. Like, that's one of the things. If if we started having a grounding on Earth, I bet that's one of the things that would come up is him trying to dodge a suitor. Yeah. All right. Um, is that about <sighs> it for notes for you? Uh, I, I do want to harp a little bit more on that specific bit about uh, Alana using the phrase the white race. Like, reminder that any time that you are creating an alien race that actually is humans, in this case, just on a different planet, uh, it, it implies this particular bit, it implies that all the humans on Ran are white. All the humans that we've seen on Ran are white, I believe. I don't think we've ever seen any uh, Ranians of color. Uh, and it it's rough, especially when we have this dichotomy of... Uh, the the blue-skinned aliens slash humans because Gardner Fox can't make up his mind. Uh, white good, other color bad. Uh, Fox specifically used the term savage. Reminder, savage is a term that comes with a whole bunch of connotations. Think before you use that one. And third, like this particular story was, oh, back in the day, the humans in the Kiri fought a genocidal war. It ended with the humans exterminating the Kiri. And then now in the present day, some remnants of the Kiri come back and are going to commit genocide on the humans, partly as revenge, partly to take control. Uh, And it splits the perspective on force so that while past force to massacre the Kiri was justified, current force from the Kiri to massacre the white humans isn't. It's like this was... This was bad Gardner Fox. Uh, And anyone writing sci-fi should really think about the way that like ancient evils and force and race and species, all the connotations those things have. So that that story got a thumbs down. Everything else was sort of that middling. Well, not too problematic kind of scenario. Let's see what else. Uh, (laughs) This one. This one was just, oh, it hurt deep inside. Uh, so letters column. Uh, for the first four or five issues that we covered, uh, there was a letters to the editor column, but it was very explicitly, uh, at least generally, hey, ask us a science fact. We'll tell you the answer because this really is like science oriented like like the way when uh when we were covering uh wonder woman comics uh some of they had those little like uh facts about uh marriages in different cultures and they've got the same thing in all their different uh things uh flash had store little bits about fast animals and stuff this has oh science space facts uh and the letters to the editor was basically that kind of thing as well and Halfway through, it shifts to being an actual letters column of normal letters to the editor all about Adam Strange stuff. Cool. Great. One of the letters to the editor asked about uh, basically like what happens with the art. And I really like Infantino's art. This is really cool stuff. Uh, And I'm sure that a lot of people like try to bury you in letters trying to get original Adam Strange art. And the response was like, you know, like we've been wondering what to do with original letters art or original art, we're just going to start giving them to people who send in letters. And they just give this kid 17 pages of original art. Oh, my God. 
Yeah. That's got to be worth something. Oh, my God. Like, in, I mean, the other side is... It's like Disney sells, you know? Yeah. Like, that's the other side is the reason that the ownership of originals of art is such a contentious issue is because artists, like, got so badly screwed over in deals that original art was a big part of how they could uh, uh, afford to live after they stopped doing the art and having uh, ongoing commissions. Like the way I heard it was that like your original art is your old age pension. It is your health insurance after and during being employed. Uh, Gardner Fox stopped working at DC as a writer when they decreed that they weren't going to do health insurance for their older employees. Like the fact that they're just handing around, especially Carmine Infantino art. Oh yeah. It just, Oh, I, I have down. Fuck me. They gave out an entire story's worth of original art, but yeah, that, I think that pretty well covers Oh, one bit that I do want to call out. Like, for all that we don't have a sense of place in uh, these stories, one thing that it did like is the way that the Zeta Beam is science-ized, not in the sense of like having a scientific explanation, but like there is the story with the uh, general, uh, uh, the general, what's his name, uh, where part of the way that they defeat him is... Adam Strange shows up because he's been Zeta beamed and then he gets the half charge Zeta beam, but he gets teleported back to Earth first before he can be killed by the half charge Zeta beam uh, because like the regular Zeta beam wears off. And it's like, OK, I like the way that the uh, the Zeta beams are in play. Uh, they have rules. They, yes, exactly that. It's like lore in the sense, in the same way that like I can read, oh, like he beat the dust devil by adding a bunch of glass to its, uh, its dust storm and that made it, uh, like freeze up. Okay. Like that, that's kind of bullshit science, but you know what? I'm, it's salt, it's science enough that I believe it. It has, it, it feels like it's obeying the rules. The Zeta beams have the same way. Like they are, they are rules that are lore building and it, roughly follows those rules and honestly i really like the idea of a half charged zeta beam like teleporting you somewhere and then you fade away like yeah okay i'm done with that horrifying but effective yeah <laughs> but yeah so that's pretty much my notes on out of strange i i enjoyed these you're absolutely right they're repetitive they're not going anywhere but i would totally be down to read at least a smattering of adam strange or of gardner fox sci-fi yeah. All right. Um, we'll start with recommendations. Mine's going to be very simple. Go see Captain Marvel. Um, I really, really liked it. I was really happy with the movie. Um, I don't really have a lot of um, experience personally with Marvel's version of Captain Marvel. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll be specific as this is a DC podcast. Um don't worry, we'll talk about Shazam when it happens. Um, but I really liked the movie. I thought it was very interesting. I thought the writing was was good. I think everyone in the movie did a great job. And it, it I really liked how they did 
a lot of the reveal for her backstory and things like that. So there was there was some good stuff there. And I think, if anything, it is um, another example of a very powerfully well-done female-centric um, sci-fi film as well as superhero movie that shows, yes, we can have these. Yes, they can be good. You should continue to try and make these because women deserve it. Women deserve to have really well done movies that are this good that they can look to and be like, yes, we are a market. Yes, we can sell movies. You know, it's not about what you think. It's about what what people actually want. And people want these types of movies. And I think this shows it. And it shows that anybody who says that like a movie like that's going to be bad is wrong. (laughs) Like they're wrong. Like this, like shit, this is this is the year of or the last like six months has has been the the half year of movies nobody thought were going to succeed but actually did really well spider-man to the spider-verse aquaman and this movie and i get the impression shazam are going to blow people's minds like it's going to show people that we don't need to keep doing these ridiculously dark superhero Mm -hmm. movies even though like i personally like some of those but we can have light fun non-traditionally led superhero movies that will do just as well if not better than the than the older ones that we've been having for the last few years and they can be female-led they can be a person of color led they can be animation and they can be characters you've never heard of and still be well done i look forward to seeing it yeah honestly my favorite thing that's come out of it so far have you seen the uh shut the fuck up greg yeah oh that was (laughs) so so good oh i love that Yep. That stupid dad who didn't know what he was fucking talking about, telling his yep. daughter that he couldn't get a Captain Marvel toy. He's like, "Why don't you get? Why don't you get a superhero toy that isn't just a princess?" And his wife says, "Shut the fuck up, Greg. She can get whatever she wants." Love that. Yeah. So good. Yeah. Uh, so I'm I'm looking forward to seeing that. Uh, probably next weekend we're gonna go see that one. Yeah. Uh, so my recommendation is not a particular story, but. Uh, an anthology so i the reason that this podcast is coming out when it is is entirely my fault uh i got pulled into a business trip with pretty short notice (laughs) it was like okay this is going to be probably next week or like the week after next uh mm, can you fly out saturday actually uh so that happened uh and it was extremely long flights uh the good news is i was able to get a couple different like year's best uh, anthologies. Specifically, I <laughs> I got both the year's best science fiction anthology and the year's best science fiction and fantasy anthology, two unrelated groups, but some amount of crossover in terms of which stories are in which. But honestly, like first off, both of those are good. I will always come down on the side of the year's best science fiction. Uh, first off, the covers are always just kind of nice it's it's kind of similar generally to like the old uh you remember the old ender's game cover Mm, mm, mm. yeah it's it's not quite that kind of like almost 70s harsh angular looking ships but it's got that same sense of they're almost always those slightly distant shots it's clear there's some cool science going on making things possible a little bit of wow vistas kind of thing but also just the stories are consistently well picked out i always enjoy 
I always at least enjoy like 80% of the stories that are in there. Uh, some of them are just, oh, wow, okay, that blew me away. There's a mix of like sometimes they'll usually have like a novella in there. They'll occasionally have like one page stories that just stick in my brain. Uh, I think one that has always stuck with me is I think it's called Evil Robot Monkey. And it's super short, but uh, Evil Robot Monkey. I want to make sure I'm actually. Yes. Yep. Always a good thing. Yep. Yeah. It looks like that's. Yep. Yeah. And it's. It looks like it's even available as a PDF. Yeah, yeah, it's even on a PDF with big old text. It's like three pages, uh, and that's from a previous year. Uh, so this is just an anthology I recommend. Like it's, it's a lot harder for me right now to read, just kind of in general because I'm spending so much of my time playing mobile games because kind of related to my job, uh, and just uh, hanging out with Rebecca and living my life, but. Yeah, short science fiction. Go get you some. All right, so I think that'll do it. And speaking of science fiction, we're going to continue the trend into our next episode. We'll be covering Hawkman, uh, rounding out all the fringe characters before we delve deeper into the JLA and return back to the the main roster. Um, It was awesome getting back and talking more about Adam Strange, and we look forward to talking with you all again about Hawkman soon. See you next time. DC Detectives can be found on SoundCloud and iTunes. To stay in the know, check out our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Adam Strange and Alana bid us farewell. When the Zeta Beam wore off and we returned back to Earth, we found ourselves in the familiar territory of Midway City. In the distance, we could see large winged figures coming toward us. And we realized those were definitely not birds 